Welcome, everybody. It's episode four of the Monitor Keeping Podcast brought to you by the NPR Network. And uh, we just want to say thank you again to Eric over there, uh, Owen, all the other guys that are part of the network. Um, they've been giving us plugs and really helping out. I've been reaching out just for general questions and this whole process of getting this thing started. And uh, they've really been a, a huge help. I mean, uh, getting this together answering simple questions just so we can bring you guys some content. So again, that's uh, the NPR network or Morelia Python radio network. And you can go over to their website. It's uh, Morelia Python radio network.net. Go ahead and look around, look at the other podcasts they are able to provide to the reptile community. Uh, there's some really good stuff on there. And uh, a lot of things that are reptile related actually do cross over. And so I encourage you guys even though we love monitors, that's why you're here. That's why we're here talking about it. Uh, the more knowledge you can get into your head, listening to some of this stuff, it, you can actually benefit from it just for the animals you keep. So, uh, Kai, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. Uh, not too bad at all. Um, I guess I would like to also say thank you to everybody that's been uh, listening and um, just kind of keeping up with us and everything like that. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. Cool. cool. Um, and yeah, just, uh, everybody that's been, uh, tagging along and, uh, giving us updates and, you know, um, advice or just, uh, just congratulations and stuff like that. We really appreciate all those, um, all those kind, kind words and everything like that. Um, and really getting into this uh, next podcast, uh, we're trying to take advantage of, uh, um, just the, the questions that, that, that are coming um, from everybody and we want to kind of put that together and really have a another set of questions that we answer for you guys um you know as like i was uh, mentioning in the beginning podcast um we really want anybody that is um new or um just beginning or they have questions and they're at their certain stages of of keeping monitors or breeding them or wanting to breed them and or just learning about them um we want everybody to kind of be involved um, and that way it stays fresh and a lot of information is, is, uh, passed, passed along well enough. So yeah, for, for this, uh, this, this podcast is where we'd like to take it again. Okay. So, um, good set of questions and things like that. So these questions, uh, are from Eric Summers and I know he keeps a few different species, um, Ackies, Kimberly's. Uh, he might have a few other ones out there. And I've had a few conversations um, with Eric here and there. Uh, but he reached out. And we actually encourage all you guys out there, if you're listening, go ahead and reach out. You know, We're trying to, to make information available to everybody and get some of these questions you might be wondering about, uh, that we might be wondering about, questions that you know we haven't thought of yet. Go ahead and hit us up. You know, um, Again, real quick, just to echo Kai, People have been having great things to say, and we're very thankful. What first off that you're even listening to, that you know you're uh, giving us some feedback, and and um, everything's been positive. So if you have any criticism too, you go ahead, hit me up. Let me know. We want to make it uh, the, the best that we can, you know. So, but these again, these questions come from Eric Summers out there, and question number one. Do you guys prefer nest boxes or full vivarium nesting? Pros and cons for both. 
An example, increased control of a microsite versus increased thermal mass, comma, humidity sink, comma, or whatever. Guy, okay. you want to start us off and take a crack at it? Yeah. So um, my uh, my look at all this, okay, um, it isn't your choice. <laughs> and initially it, it will be, you know, you're going to just think, all right, this is how I want to do it with a nest bin and you're going to you know do the recommended um suggestions maybe um make it heated or stuff like that but sometimes even if you're choosing a nest bin your animal's not going to like it um and you have to give another option as well so um you know you don't want to just think um where you're just using one thing think about having two to three different things different levels different temperatures um i would say ratios and gradients of soil things like that um something that's more sandy like or stuff that's got a lot of twigs and leaf litter in it um they'll, they'll, they'll kind of utilize both and so um choosing one over the other may not be the best option but um i've learned that in floor and in cage nesting options gives you a bigger gradient um, and if you can hook it up right, turn your soil often enough, um, I'd say you're able to achieve a pretty, pretty decent nesting area and all that stuff like that for them, or a couple spots even. Man, um, and well, so, you actually but, just got into this too. With uh, well, I'll let you touch on that in a second. I, let me let you finish, but I was going to touch on the uh, yeah, the new so, devices you have, <laughs> right? Um, and so. That's that was my thing is, I guess you can learn from me. I was only allowing my mangrove monitors to only use a nest box, or I was only allowing my mangrove monitors and my Kimberleys to use a nest box, um, and so I would really hone in on it, try to study how to use the nest box as much as possible, um, try to make it easier for me to find the eggs for one, you know, just uh, kind of a lot of other people are using it, so hey, why not? But um, I learned that once I also introduced the floor, the, the in-floor heating and or in-floor nesting within the entire cage as well, they would utilize that um, just a, a little bit easier. I would say going down, coming up, and or laying clutches in a, in a nice spot um, just seemed easier for them. Uh, and then as far as space and I, I would say square footage of the actual amount of soil they can have within the cage rather than having just a little nest box to work around. Um, it gives them much more comfortability in how they maneuver around. Uh, with the nest box, it's kind of tight. So, you know, you kind of, um, they only have so much to work around. So yeah, for, for, for me, it's having the option of both now and, or having even other options like like a tube full of full of dirt you know it's a big tube but it's basically full of soil um, yeah yeah that's the that's my take on having the nest box or having a different option i think for me i actually i use both uh for most of the dwarf stuff i actually use nest boxes and i haven't had any issues uh that i can tell that are from using the nest box um I've never had eggs laid outside of that nest box. 
if I started running into those problems, I wouldn't hesitate to change. Um, that would, you know, there's nothing hold me back. I, I'm not just hardcore for nest boxes till I die. Uh, I'll let the animals, like Kai said, tell me what's going on. So if they stop nesting in those nest boxes and I see uh, females and it looks like I'm going past a date, and scattering yeah yeah like scattering eggs yeah yeah they basically don't want to use a nest box had that option but still chose to scatter so right you're gonna have to like uh kind of make a judgment call um right and and really uh what i kind of say all the time is supporting them a little bit better right and yes. in some of my uh different cages i actually use two nest boxes something i've been messing around with uh, yeah. they're just a little bit different and um one sits in it has more of a temperature range from the uh, mid to upper 80s uh, for most of it. And the other nest box has, uh, I would say, about 83 to 77 in there getting down towards the other end. Um, just something I'm trying out. Uh, I'll let you guys know how it works out where these females choose to nest either on the podcast or making posts and whatnot. Um, but, you know, like I said, I haven't had any issues for the dwarf monitors. But with the, the sand monitors, more of a mid-size monitor, uh, getting to where you're at, Kai, with you know more of the, the length of lizard you're dealing with, it yeah. was much easier for me to do whole cage nesting than try to find a nest box and make it work. Um, right. Yeah, and I, I built those cages. Th those are larger cages. I built them with that purpose and that thought in mind for not only nesting purposes, but also because, I mean, it's a sand monitor it right. lives half of its life in the dirt so what else better could i give it than dirt you know yeah yeah <laughs> big pile a lot, of dirt. a lot of it a lot of it right yeah um i guess uh getting uh into that um amount of dirt and uh and i guess you kind of brought it up a little earlier um when we first started talking about this a little bit um i kind of came up with a uh, it's, an, it's, it's an accumulation of everybody's idea and I've really just taken it and simplified it into a simple um, PVC sleeve or a little it's about the, it's about the size of a, of a dinner plate um, and you can make them bigger or they can be made bigger but all it is is it's just a protective heat source it's just a heat pad slipped into the, the sleeve and then that's mounted to the the, the, the bottom wall of the cage where you're planning to utilize a nesting area um and uh for i, I just really hooked it up we've been really working with other guys to have it prototyped and just trying to have ways where it's safe it's the the stuff's protected or and or not really in the way of of having lizards rip at it you know what i mean or water getting onto it um so right right now it's just in its kind of infancy stages on on kind of putting it together but um, the, the amount of soil that, that a person is trying to use for, um, for any type of monitor when it's laying, whether it's an Aki or whether it's a huge crock monitor or, or, you know, in this case, it's, uh, um, my mangrove monitors or Allen sand monitors that are kind of mid-sized monitors right, right now. Right. And so what it is, is, um, the nest bins that are, you know, two by two or 18 by 18 are, are no longer with are good size because you know these lizards are three to four feet now and so mm -hmm. you'd have to accommodate much more space and um some people still try to use a really big bin or really large tote and have that heated and sometimes that really works um sometimes it doesn't though and so you'd have to 
you utilize and figure out a way how to heat a large amount of soil. And so this plate that I'm trying to introduce or this sleeve that I'm trying to introduce to other keepers and kind of just uh, get the ball rolling on how to heat up soil um, without taking up a ton of cage space, without uh, kind of making the cage look awkward with just having a big bin in there and at the same time having a heated source that's protected. Um, sometimes applying a, a certain heat pad just onto the side of a bin without that protected is just unsafe. Um, and some of the other, like like my current heat pads that I use for, they're, they're a dog mat that once a dog lays on it, it becomes a certain temperature. And so it's by weight if you're if you're if you place at least like five to ten pounds onto this heat pad it stays a certain temperature and so the, that that heat pad only gets about 105 ish and transferred through the bin transferred through the soil it's about 88 give or take um good point and good so point. Um, you know um that that heat pad it's sitting on the floor though so i have risk of i have to keep that area dry and so i can't spray there and I can't like dump water there or I basically can't misuse that area and keep it wet because there's a cord coming from there. And it's that's just mm -hmm. the giant cord that connects to the to the actual heat pad itself that goes out of the cage, obviously. But, um, you know, that's just exposed wire in the cage. And so I want to kind of protect that as well. Um, and so I'm using this different source where you're able to heat up the large amounts of soil um, and at the same time, have it protected and kind of incognito in the cage, you know. Um, right. And uh, so those are, you know, my takes on having heated soil in your enclosure and, um, you know, pros and cons with having a bin, things like that. It's, uh, it's the animals. The animal is going to tell you really at the end of the day, you know. If, yeah. if eggs came out good, not scattered, um you know, they, they basically went down. It was an easy process, came up. Then I would say leave leave what you're doing because it's working, you know. But if things aren't working and you've got a stressed out animal, it's just holding on to eggs for way too long. It ends up either, you know, having issues worse than like egg binding or things like that and um, eggs rotting in that area or getting caught in the pelvis area, stuff like that, right? Stuff like that happens when they hang on to them for way too long, Um and so, yeah, you know, you know, I haven't experienced this yet, but a thought <laughs> that uh, I have, especially when I'm getting there close to the uh, the different Indonesian species land, is they're a lot more shy than the rest of the the animals. Yeah. I keep. Um, you know, messing around with a covered entry if you're using a nest box, basically a, a more secure entry for them that they don't like to be seen out in the open. You know. Um, so if you provide them a way to get in and out of that nest box where they can do it stealth, like they don't have to be seen and you, you know, <laughs> my yeah. ugly face looking at them all day, trying to go, are you laying eggs? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, if you give them a little more, uh, secrecy as far as utilizing that nest box, I'm wondering if it'll go a long way. I haven't tested it out yet, but I plan to. You know, um, the other ones I can just cut a hole in the top of a box and they drop right in and use it. Right. Um, you know, that being said, I have had Aki's uh, with whole cage nesting too, um, that have done just fine. Uh, some of the animals have done both and gone back to one or the other, just depending on the different setups I have them in at the time. Um, 
Let's see. There's there's so much to cover just about that part of nesting. You you mentioned different types of soil, basically. Yeah. Too, you know, um, we're both in California, so what we have is pretty similar to access to what we have. Some of you guys, if you're on the East Coast, you might have things like uh, cypress mulch and whatnot. We don't have access to that in the large amounts that we would need. I mean, you could go to the store and buy a 20 pound bag of cypress mulch for a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 20, $30 out here. And you guys yes. out there can go pick it up for, you know, dirt cheap comparatively. So I, I um, use a few, few different things. Um, I can't find one, I guess, ingredient or one, you know, um, item. I kind of mix a few different things. Um, I really, I'm not too picky and I kind of know what really works. Um, I kind of mentioned it before. Sandy loam is my, my, my go-to, like my eventual like result. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But the start of that would be eco earth and um, sand, play sand or, or some peat moss and play sand. Um, mm -hmm. The both mixed together is going to create this uh, sort of sandy soilish mix after time. After heat, right. moisture, insects have broken it down, and the leaf litter has added to it as well, stuff like that. It's it's now this then become rich soil that's kind of a sandy mix to it. Um, that's what I want, uh, and so you know I, I don't really um, I, I actually don't understand uh, um, some people's uh, I guess rave against uh, eco earth or some other soils. I think everybody has their preference. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you may just have to go with what you like. I, I know like the, the downfalls of some of them, if they get too dry, because like yeah. if sphagnum moss gets way too dry, it's basically super dusty and same, oh, yeah. thing, with, same thing with eco earth, but it's a dusty with big, big fibers and stuff like that. So um, they're, they're both not great bone dry, but, kept in a consistency where you're literally adding water maybe every couple of weeks, something like that. You're, um, you know, turning the soil. Uh, I, I mean, I literally get my finger and I, I do a little test and I just, you yep. know, dive it down like maybe several inches as much as I can and, and kind of test the moisture. If the soil, you know, kind of falls loose and it's not, you know, moist at all, I'm going to have to revamp that. I'm going to have to re-add to that. But you know, if it's, it's, if it's holding in place and there's now this little divot that I made, even just with my finger, I think that consistency is, is okay. You know, that's funny. I, I, I wish I could be more specific with you guys about humidity and whatnot and the actual water content of the soil. But for me now it's, it's done by feel. If it feels yeah. right, that's what I go. With. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, we're trying to translate as much as, as much as we can, as far as just like, uh, just the way we, the way we get a sixth sense of stuff right and the way we're kind of doing things just i mean they might have not noticed that but i did you know and um and so yeah. we're just yeah we're um kind of trying to do things where um it's a way where everybody can kind of grasp on in a, a i don't know in, in their own handsy feely way you know it's not it's not really just like textbook numbers and stuff like that all the time. Um, it's like like reading condensation in your in your in your cage. You know, speaking about humidity, um, with this first question, uh, you know, my my cages kind of condensate a little bit on the the the, the cooler corners or or stuff mm -hmm. like that. And you know, those are things I kind of look for. Or if the soil 
it, it itself, you know, kind of feels pretty moist to the touch. I don't really have to revamp anything or add anything, you know, like that. And I'm just paying attention to those just slight, slight little details more. Or um, if like uh, shedding and stuff like that isn't really flaking off so easy, you know, you're going to have to adjust, adjust to that. And they're, they're all adjustments that we all kind of have to make. It's not something where, oh man, I, I, like I know it's it's shedding and not everybody is, is cued into now I have to do things a little bit differently. I have to add a little right. bit more humidity to the enclosure, um, you know, uh, maybe change the water a little bit more often, things like that, or or um, dump a little pitcher of water into that heated area and it draws up the humidity in the enclosure. And so, you know, you kind of have a, a, a spike and then that kind of helps shedding a little bit. Um, right, a spike, so, a, a spike. <laughs> right, a, sp a Not spike. Not constant. A right, spike. and I don't really have constant wet cages. That's not. That's uh, like I, I kind of mentioned this before. That's not really what I want. Um, I, I I used to think that was you know it's Indonesia. It's it's the storming all the time. It's wet, and um, right. these animals get get to get off that, and um, you know they they get to hang out in, in on the limbs and trees where which aren't so wet. And so they, they definitely get to escape that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that's something we do take for granted is um, we think tropical species, sometimes just jungle humidity. we got these ideas in our heads of what that is, but um, there's different places in a tropical environment where you can go and it's actually relatively cool. Or drier. Um, yeah. 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 Or yeah. drier. Um, you know, other things to consider also is that these animals may move throughout the day um, from a more humid area to a drier area, depending on their needs. Uh, and they know when their home range, where all that stuff is at. So, right. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the, the ideas I'm having reading back through um, some of the, the Indonesian dwarf stuff is some of these animals are found actually close to the, uh, the shore, I'm talking about the peacock monitors for the most part are found near the uh, the shore. That's where Spracklin was saying he was finding them. And uh, in tropical areas near the ocean, it can it can be actually pretty dry compared to the rest of the inland, you know, or as far as humidity levels. There's there's this breeze that picks up at different times, different thermal yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And you would probably only have to go about 30 minutes to an hour inland to mm -hmm. get a major difference you know right it's kind of what i feel here um i'm i grew up on on the coast i kind of always lived by a marina or off the bay and i got fog in um got normal you know normal normal sea breeze and stuff like that where that does take a cool down it does add moisture to the air currently now i live um an hour in an hour and a half ish in from actual like the coast mm -hmm. so um you know, it's, it's much different here. And like, let's say compared to Huntington beach or something like that, or something that's not, you know, it's a, it's a coastline area, but it's just way more humid, but that's not yeah. too far from me though. It's only 45 right. minutes from me though, you know? So, um, it's kind of crazy how the humidity changes just so much. And so, um, you know, now, uh, yeah. What about, what about using, uh, the, basically the microclimate using that mass of, whole cage nesting or whatnot versus a nest box as far as a humidity sink. I'm making sense of the. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really not confuse myself and people with that question, that last one. Um, 
but I'm going to take a stab at it. Just give me a second, all right? Um, <laughs> no pressure, Kai. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not. I don't really understand that one. Oh, uh, no worries. I think because I'm reading it to you, so I got the words right in front of me. So my take on this is, uh, yeah, when you have whole cage nesting and let's say just as a standard you got a, a four foot cage uh four four by two cage and you got a foot of dirt um in there and it is a lot of moisture that you can pull from from that soil before the whole thing dries out so if you have a very minimal or no real venting other than let's say sliding glass front to the cage um it's going to take a long time for the moisture to come out of that soil. So yes, it does act like a humidity sink um, to that degree, but at the same time, it's not, some people will say it's necessary. In my opinion, it's not necessary. If your care adapts to um, let's say a nest, like in my situation, I can put down those cocoa blocks Mm -hmm. all across the bottom of a cage just for, you know, an inch or two. Um, the animals are running on top of that. That's the cage itself is relatively dry all over. And yeah. then in the nest box, it's that's a microclimate. Yeah. That's right. where they can go. Now, um, I, I guess on another side of this is when you're looking at the, 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 the max depth of soil, right. And you're, you gotta use a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still have some of these pockets and it's going to draw your humidity up a lot more. Um, like I was using those cocoa blocks and just a, a little bit. And um, so my animals are from Indonesia, the, especially the mangrove ones. And um, you know, they're, they need a lot more humidity. And so mm-hmm. um, the, the cocoa blocks just on the soil on the bottom wasn't enough. So I would have to maintain more. But what sucked was in me doing that and essentially maintaining more, which is what I'm saying is like I'm having to spray more often to keep up with the, the humidity that they need. And, um, you know, their, their, skin, their, their skins were looking more drier. The sheds were kind of getting more stuck on. And so I switched from just the couple inches of cocoa blocks to a bunch of sandy soil underneath those cocoa blocks. Yeah. Um, so like what that is is – it's kind of like snake keepers, how they just have the, the the very surface part dry or whatever they're using is 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 just a dry part, and that's the dry part that they kind of need to be on it in in the wild. Is you know they can't really be on just wet stuff all the time, and so um, it's simplified with with monitor keeping as well, where we're really only applying the option to be really humid. You know, um, mm-hmm. taking away the nest bin or taking away a humid hide is not the way to go though you know you don't want right. to stricken the animal from the ability to revamp its skin and and go down and get hydrated and stuff like that if it if it needs to you know mm-hmm. um you know and you may have a couple more spots that aren't a nest bin like for males um males may not need a, a, a huge nest bin it's just you know it'd be a little bit different for the male it's not honed in as my nesting area because females tend to claim those um and so let's say if you you were to have a pair a male may not always typically be sleeping where that female would be in that nest bin or something like that if you're if she's if she's expected to sleep there um 
And so, yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be different areas that you may have to apply if you're housing multiple animals. For me, I, I have the same thing where I'll have one pocket over here and that's hopefully for just one animal. And then I'll have another, um, kind of spread that out, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, my cold side or the cooler side where the lamps aren't or furthest away from the lamps, that's considered my cool side. I keep that dry and I'm trying to do all this in a six and eight foot enclosure. Okay. So it's, and some of them are even three or four foot enclosures or five foot enclosures. So I even have less space to work with. And still I'm trying to have a dry area that's furthest away from the lamp. That's my cool area, cool and dry. And then I have my moist pocket area where that's where the lamps are kind of in that 80, 90 degree ish area. I'm spraying that area because that's where the humidity and all that will derive from the heat. And once I hit it with water, you know, um, and you know, in the lamps, it's going to be dry still um, because that's just what lamps do. They just naturally dry stuff out. And so right. you'll get 30 to 50%, sometimes even lower on the humidity there. And uh, some people freak out about that. And uh, I tell them not to, cause that's normal. Right. You know, that's normal. It's just, uh, you want the, the option and you want to have the ability to give your animal a chance to go wherever it chooses to really go, you know? Right. And, and guys, um, something I, I want to touch on real quick. Sometimes we get those humidity slash, uh, temperature gauges, and you put that somewhere you're, you're trying to figure out what maybe your basking spot is because you're trying to reach this high temperature that monitors need. And so you're putting this probe uh, under that that basking spot. And then the humidity probe might be the same probe or I, there's all kinds of different configurations for this. Or you're sticking it somewhere um, that's not really relevant. And so to speak, where you might be getting one temperature reading within your cage and you're adjusting yeah. based off of that one temperature or that humidity reading when it's, it's not really what you need to be looking at. So to speak, I would much rather uh, yeah. look at the animal itself and how it's using the cage uh, and take your cues from what the animal's doing, the condition yeah. of the animal's skin. Um, Cause it, you could have like Kai was saying, you could have a really dry, low humidity area right under the basking spot. Uh, but you got humidity in other places and yeah. the animal can seek refuge in those other places and you're doing just fine. And sometimes I've done this to myself early on. I've kept a super wet cage and I tell you what you want to, you, you yeah, want to yeah, give yeah. a, a Aki a hard time, make them super wet, keep them super wet. <laughs> yeah. They don't like it. I mean, you know, and, and that's even for an animal that you would think like a mangrove monitor, right? All right, it's from the mangroves. This is this is a wet area. It's mud, swampy. It's just uh, you know dense, and uh, it's along the water's edge. So, um, you know, you would think that the mangrove monitor cages need to be wet, right? And so right. I used to do that too, and then I ended up with fungal infections or bacteria stuff, or um, basically a bumblefoot. And um, what that is is just it's uh, the swelling and and. Uh, I'm it's constriction and all that stuff like that within um, the finger and the fingernail tip and all that stuff like that. And it, even, it, yeah, they're just, they're blisters that happen there. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the tails 
the, the bottoms of the animals. I mean, I've even seen it like on the sides, the side skirts of the animals too. Um, and so, I mean, I've had that happen with mangrove monitors and even Kimberly's. And so, you know, people thinking, I understand that monitors need good humidity and they need enclosures that trap humidity well and release slow, not, right. you know, right. um, and so you'll have to then kind of gauge on how much it's releasing between the week or every couple of weeks and then adjust by either adding more water or figuring out how you're going to, um, help that humidity that you want to maintain within the enclosure. Right. I, I still find now to, to this day that deep, deep soil, um, for some species, especially ones that you find maybe having hard, hard time shedding. I live where it's really dry now. So if my enclosures are dry, the outside is dry. My home is dry because I need to be, you know, that's, that's a human, that's how we like to live. It's, you know, it's not dense humidity and hundred degrees or 80 degrees in here, you know, it's kind of <laughs> cool and it's dry in here. And so <clears throat> if all of those are dry, my animal's going to be dry. And so I had to balance the outside temperatures or the outside humidity, my home's humidity, and then just within that room, the humidity there, and then adjust for the cage. So if everything is low humidity where I'm at, uh, my enclosures basically had to support that. And so mm -hmm. I had to go back to using deeper soil much more, even if it's several inches, several inches, um, and I can spray it and add pictures of water to it, add leaf litter on it. It maintains for days. So right. I, I don't have to do a whole lot to it. And then the ones that are like a foot, a foot and a half deep, um, I use maybe a pitcher of water every two weeks or so. And I just dump soil, dump, dump water into there. And I kind of turn it up as much as I can. Yeah. Um, and that's all I'm doing. Uh, I kind of don't use just the mister too often. I kind of, I, a little bit here and there, just kind of give the animal a little spritz, but me, I'm just dumping pitchers of water. Yeah. See for mine. Um, I actually will go in and spray other than of course the, the humidity box area. Um, or nesting box area i'll actually go in and spray every other day if i can if i can you know outside of work stuff going on uh, make it over there and it just gives a spike in humidity uh for that day uh, and then they yeah. can still retreat to this other microclimate um, for my australian stuff it works for me right now the way i have it set up but for my Indonesian stuff, no, 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 no. Crispy, crispy. They were not liking that. So yeah. um, I had to change to where even if I have a, a nest box in with them, I'm still keeping at least, I don't know, five inches of a combination of dirt with a layer over it. Like Kai was mentioning of either leaf litter or bark or something on top of that sandy soil um, to keep those humidity levels up. So I'm in, in theory using both because I'm using kind of a humidity sink in the yeah. bottom of that as well as a, another retreat. And then, so I have, I have different things going on within the same enclosure there, but um, man, some, I'm going to go on a quick tangent real, real quick. Um, just with what you were talking about as far as things being all dry for you guy. Um, one of the issues I also had was my warehouse was pretty dry throughout the year anyway, up here in the, uh, the Northern California area. Um, we'd get some days of 
humidity, but we're rarely over 50%. We're usually in the 20 to 30% where I'm at. Um, and then there were days, not only in the summer, but days in the winter, especially where we'd be down to 10% humidity. So what I actually had to do was build a, so imagine I have a, a roll-up door on the front of this, this warehouse. I had to uh, put up black plastic, like the painter's six millimeter thick plastic and make a, a secondary wall inside the, the warehouse, which then allowed me to run some humidifiers and actually keep the humidity just at a, at, I think I was hitting like 45 to 50. I was super happy. <laughs> and then from there, that was just a base. Then I could adjust um, to their cages to, to bump humidity up for different species or the, the Australian stuff was fine with that. Yeah. Um, so if you're in a bedroom and you're keeping something in your bedroom, uh, and like Kai said, it's dry, you know, your, your temperature is about maybe 70 degrees or so. Uh, it might be a good idea for you to, I've, I've shared this with a couple people, build a little, um, build a little rig around the enclosure itself, whether it's plastic, like I was using, or I know a lot of people are using these grow tents now. You could actually buy a small grow tent and put your enclosure inside of a grow tent of the appropriate size. And you could actually increase the humidity that way by just um, playing around with these different ideas, you know, and this way you have like a double walled system almost to reach the humidity levels or temperatures that you need to. Um, But those are just ideas. Like I said, real quick tangent, just want to get people's minds thinking. All right. You want to, you want to go to the next one or did you have anything else to touch on that question? No, I think we covered a a fair amount. Um, Let me just go over that first question real quick, just to make sure for pros and cons. Oh, Um, I I will. While you're looking that up, I will say one thing. And this is just to be honest with all of you that are out there listening. Some of the reason I use nest boxes is because it's easier for me to dig up a nest box than it is a little cage. (laughs) It is. I I mean, it is. Okay. Like I said, it's the convenience and ease on where to find these eggs. It's if my nest box takes in a six by three by three, my next, my nest box takes up less than 25% of it, you know? Um, And uh, I, I can just dig there. But if I had, full-on nest everywhere like full-on soil all over the six-foot enclosure right um, yeah i'm gonna be digging for a while and i mean and some people have have great success with it though so um you know it's uh yeah yeah i'm not really uh too thrilled on having to dig far to the left side <laughs> of the cage that i can't really reach you know but i'll, I'll do it I'll, I'll do it so i um, have yeah, actually gotten impatient thinking there's no way because i didn't even see the female digging in this area i i have some females that you know exactly where they nested they're kind of sloppy about how they cover it um and i have other ones that i mean they are just like a ninja you don't know where they all you do all you see is a skinny monitor i don't know where they nested you start digging through the dirt it feels just as compact as when i left it in the first place yeah and I get impatient. I'm like, oh man, I read something wrong. I totally screwed this up. You get to that last corner. I have dug too fast and I have, uh, I have injured an egg. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. So, all right. Um, for this next question, um, this one says, uh, how do you keep hatchlings from ingesting boatloads of substrate when feeding stuff like eggs and 
turkey minced up. Um, are there any indigestible substrates you would avoid? Um, he says he was super paranoid and ditched the cocoa fiber after uh, after reading like other people's losses and stuff like that with using eco earth and cocoa core. All right, so um, I guess to get started into this, um, I kind of want to talk about the animal's whole whole health to begin with. Um, yeah. All right. So if your animal is very well heated, very well hydrated, chances are to be able to pass almost anything it ingested. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is uh, for soils and sand. I've never really had an issue with this. I've had some like leopard geckos, you know, just lick up a bunch of sand before and just have bellies full of it. And I understand that's a, a scary thing. Um, but, you know, as far as any of the hatchlings that I have, I do keep things a little bit simple for them to eat. Like, okay, they're not chasing a bunch of crickets and stuff like that that are on the ground too much. Uh, a lot of the roaches are in food bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, crickets, if I'm feeding them crickets, they, that, 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 they, I see them running around and chasing and might get a handful or get a mouthful of um, dirt or something like that. But um, I normally never really worry uh, unless it's like big sharp shards and fragments and i i don't use any of those type of beddings at all like like um cypress mulch you know those long shards uh, i don't use any of those type of things or any of those barks at all um just for those purposes so uh, if i use any of those and they ingested those like a sharp piece it probably wouldn't be the greatest um to have to digest that or have to pass that through um, but so that's for me, I just aim for fine sandy substrate that is um, easily ingestible if they were to. And uh, I typically right. really try to make sure my animals are really hydrated and heated really well. So if they were to ingest it, because it gets on the food, you know, they're going to pick up the food item. They're probably going to go thrash it around, do something, you know, that you're not going to, that you don't want them to do, but they're going to do it anyways, you know. Um, and for my enrichment periods, man, I just throw in eggs and throw in crawfish all over the enclosure. So they're going to mm-hmm. get dirt and um, it happens. And I don't see an issue ever when my animals are, you know, taken care of and they're healthy, hydrated and stuff like that. Um, now, uh, uh, earlier we kind of mentioned this as far as being in the enclosure. Um, pea moss and eco-earth or core fiber, any of that stuff used, left bone dry sucks as a soil or sucks as a as as a bed but used with moisture sand leaf litter works great Uh, i I don't have an issue with it um now uh as far as getting the animals to not ingest it with with heating like again i just place food on on a dish a shallow dish and everything is kind of just uh you know they get to eat out of this this bowl this crock bowl or this plastic plate um, not all the time am I feeding a bunch of loose food items that they get to catch for a couple reasons. Um, me, I kind of get an idea of what's missing and I judge how much they've eaten. So then I can kind of put that there the next time or kind of gauge on who's doing what, if I can appear at them, if they got fat bellies, if they don't, I get to see, all right, I, I need to put more food. 
because this is like in the sense of babies, right? Because this question is for, you know, um, having hatchlings ingest, ingest a bunch of bedding. Like at the same time, me not using just a bunch of loose foods running around, um, the animals aren't nipping at each other's tails and toes and running mm -hmm. at each other um, and going crazy during this feeding frenzy. Uh, it happens. They take each other's food. They bite each other's heads. They bite each other's toes. And this can end up uh, pretty bad if uh, you know they kind of get into it over food or one is just dominating the other one and it's really trying to take its food and then it starts to beat it up. Um, this happens with hatchlings all the time. You kind of see they have to make a little pecking order and one of them is going to be the alpha or the dominant one and the rest are just going to kind of follow in line. Yep. Um, get to bask or get to eat when it's it's uh it's okay for them and everybody else is already eaten um that type of deal um so i make feeding and stuff like that are really simple for them rather than having to chase it or fight for themselves they just come and all eat communally at a little dish and they pick little tiny pieces up and yeah that's that's my best on trying to keep them from nibbling at soil as well you know, if we remember, we'll stick on this topic, but if we remember, we should uh, touch on, on pecking orders and dominance and less dominant animals. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's one I'm still learning more of. Like I, I can only really tell you the, you know, you know, just male and female pecking order, but you know, mm -hmm. there's female to male pecking order, um, just cage dominance or um, any type of dominance all over food. Things like that, little signs that I've read, but um, yeah, like little signs that I'm reading as they're, you know, uh, as I'm introducing them or trying to pair them up. I kind of get a lot of different, uh, I get a lot of different stuff all the time, like different behaviors all the time that I don't, I'm not really picking up well enough, I don't think. Um, right. Yeah. 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 All right. But we'll I mean, stick on this one for now because that could go, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a bunch of different directions. But there is a. Right. There is a lot to that uh, for the people out there listening. There's um, there's animals that actually you know just like each other, like bonded pairs. Um, yeah, and uh, we we'll we'll get into that a little later. Um, so keep listening. But to stick on this, uh, as far as like the the food items like minced turkey, mice, maybe uh, some of the things we've talked about, such as the um, filler foods like like the chicken hearts, chicken gizzards, you know, those get dragged out in the substrate. Even if you have them on a plate or something, they yeah. do get dragged around. Uh, but I've never had a worry about somebody ingesting something they shouldn't. For the most part, whatever goes down, goes down and comes out, you know, and I've, I've never lost an animal because of a ingestion issue such as that for, for substrate, anything like that. Um, so, yeah, right now I don't think about it until something changes. It, it won't be really on my radar and, and not really a concern. I understand there might have been people out there that have lost animals due to certain things. Maybe you've got in there and you've seen some kind of blockage. Um, so, you know, that's your experience and, and whatnot. But I, I honestly, I, I, there's a certain group that I'm thinking of that they drag everything away and it's it's filthy when they're taking it down. But they eat never had a problem with them they're yeah they're doing their things so. yeah i hate that Some, sometimes my uh, i have a couple females they'll drop food 
Mm-hmm. I'll pick it up, try to give it to them, and they know it's dirty, and they'll just they turn their noses at it. Yeah, you know, I got some picky, some picky girls. <clears throat> I have a few that actually, uh, with larger food items like the grasshoppers, they'll actually pull it apart together. They work on larger food food items together. I've seen one yeah. drag one kind of around another animal. If it's, um, I don't know, sometimes when I cut up, you know, a, a mouse for these for these uh these groups one's pulling on some entrails one way and kind of brings it towards another one they're pulling it apart and everything so it's it's kind of interesting to watch but they will yeah. help each other some animals will help each other to take down some of this food but it gets dragged all over the cage there's you know sand and eco earth and whatever else in there so but no i don't really uh i don't really pay any attention to it so um Anything else you want to touch on with that? No. Um, no. Yeah, I'm really just... Uh, uh, my soil is... My soil is always growing. And my, and my soil is always being added to. Um, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, yes, it's for, for, for a week sometimes, but then there's times when I just, you know unload a bunch of leaf litter on it break it up even finer um i use banana leaves as well and they just stay a lot longer and they stay they stay firm and stay within texture a lot longer than breaking down like some of the other leaves do Mm -hmm. Um, so it's always being added and you know kind of revamped and touched upon um if you're if you're not uh then you may find yourself with uh um those uh low spikes in humidity or problems shedding when it comes to time to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, yeah. there was a guy uh, near me that had a large colony of Ackies. Um, they basically converted an entire shed just for Ackies. Uh, he was using whole cage nesting at first, but then for his own purposes, he switched to uh, like several nest boxes in this large colony. Um, and I think after about six years of just, great work counting on these animals to drop, you know, um, every year at certain times they stopped dropping in these nest boxes. Some were retaining eggs, some were scattering and nothing else changed, um, in their enclosure, what he was doing year to year. But what come to find out, he, he actually changed the, the substrate within these nest boxes yeah. and the animals went back to normal. So, he theorized a little bit that maybe a substrate can go stale. Now he wasn't adding things yeah. like leaf litter, like you're adding to it or I'm adding to it um, that gets broken down. So I, I don't know. I haven't had it myself. I haven't experienced myself, but it's just an interesting thought. You know, it doesn't need to, to be refreshed, so to speak. Can the, uh, can the substrate go stale uh, where it kind of detours the animals a little bit from nesting in there? I don't know. Yeah, for 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 me, um, for sure. It, it, and what it is is, it's that amount of moisture within it. If yeah. that depletes that soil and stuff, and you know, you start to dig down, and you can think about it like this: like uh, you're a kid on the beach, and you're digging these little tunnels, right? And you're kind of just digging down a little further, and those little holes that you're building, and those little caves, they're holding place, right? They're mm-hmm. holding place because there's moisture within that sand there. Right. And that's the same type of consistency that you're trying to have for these nest bins is when you dig 
and you're digging burrows even with your hand and you're kind of making a tunnel um, it should corners sort of form and hold place um and yeah that's 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 kind of what you're what you're really wanting you know i'll read off uh <clears throat> question three for us real quick and we move on uh okay so question three what humidity are you running during incubation uh, in this person's experience, he had some clutches fail at 86 degrees Fahrenheit and about 95% relative humidity. Uh, he mentions that, you know, the, the clutches looked a little, some something was looking wrong with the first clutch, um, but the second and third looked pretty good and tanked in the incubator. Um, he's also thinking maybe his male might have um, some issues getting it done. But uh, we, we actually did talk with this. We, we threw this around with um, um, yeah. Eric well, a little bit. We, we can go back uh, a little bit on a slide of a backstory because this is relating to me. And I was essentially using myself as an example for him while we we're talking in this discussion too between the right. three of us right earlier. And so um, six months ago or within – Winter time last year, I basically killed a bunch of Kimberly eggs and Kimberly. <laughs> so, um, you know, Me lost uh, <laughs> lost females, lost eggs, and uh, essentially just uh, really stubbed myself in the foot. You know, um, hard pill to swallow in this one. And um, uh, really, my eggs went all the way, or well, okay, clutch one went all mm. the way, and babies were essentially fully formed. But at 70, 80 days, I started to let the dense humidity within the actual incubating container evaporate so fast. Either I was um, had too big of venting holes, um, started to vent too soon, vented too much because I was just trying to vent because that's what people were telling me to do at the last leg of incubation. Um, now, my current area... And where I live is dry. It's it's really bone dry. Um, it's maybe 15, 20, 25% humidity. And most of the time it's even smaller than that or lower than that. Um, and I had to figure out where this gentleman was from. And so after asking him, he's also from California and he's from the Mojave. Now where I live in San Gabriel Valley and where he's at, it's not very far from each other. He's, we're, we're about um, maybe an hour and a half-ish two hours roughly on um, distance between each other. And he's even somewhere that it's even drier. So um, what I have a feeling is he went through the same thing that I was going through. Um, essentially using a fan, not having enough humidity and, um, and or like a water cup, something that's um, generating humidity within that, that loss that the fan is, um, creating as well as the fan is on and it's running it's basically taking humidity and pushing it out as well and so things are slowly evaporating from the container um, if you're using too big events or stuff like that so um, it's just a, a balance game now because you still need the fan to eliminate hot spots but the fan is also going to dry stuff out if you have it too vented and um, so this gentleman doesn't live too far from me right mm -hmm. and so this is exactly the same thing that I was going through. I had eggs essentially fail on me. Eggs that I thought were really great. And um, they basically started to concave from underneath and on the sides a little bit. 
not exactly just on top and everything else is still firm. Um, but really it's uh, like it started to indent from underneath. And so um, I did a lot of tricks, you know, added more water into the thing, possibly saved a couple eggs, but still they, they died when they went the distance. Um, and so uh, really I kind of, well, everything this gentleman was saying, his name is um, Eric, and I kind of related to all of that. Everything just fit to the T, you know, and I even thought that my male was shooting blanks because these eggs would, come out fine but not go the distance or come out from just you know um come out with on the on the on the shitty end of stuff you know and so uh really uh really made me think about what i was doing and um just try to have uh i guess things some more played out where i know the male's good um and or playing with the humidity and moisture um i'm really trying not to lose focus on everything else that's possibly interfering with the, the humidity within there, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, the, the outside temperatures in the, in the house outside, those are also also going to be conflicting with what I need to generate within the, within the incubator. So now I have a cup down there, but my current incubator is almost full. So it's, it's a third or halfway full. And I have eggs kind of spread out all over. I even have grasshopper incubating in there. So that also adds up to the the moisture that's released from each of those containers, right? Um, now, I haven't had an issue with overwatering yet. So I haven't, you know, because now the thing is full and there's humidity everywhere. Do I really need that extra cup of moisture? And I, I think I do, but, um, you know... Um, what sucks is that you have to learn and kill eggs. <laughs> true. <laughs> kill and eggs to know if you're doing it right or not. And each yeah. person, wherever you live, you have to adjust to where you're at. No one has the magic recipe to hand to you unless they are, you know, your, your next door neighbor, really. Um, yeah. Your house yeah. might be built different. You might get drafts through your house in certain areas that you're not really yeah. aware of. Um, all these things you have to adjust for. And so, um, you know, another thing that a lot of the the incubators we like to use now that are available now, they have this this glass or plexiglass front. Right. Which is great. We're neurotic. All of us. We like to look in and see the eggs. Of course, they're not doing anything but being eggs sitting in Catch there. Catch draft. Right. Yeah. But there's a there's a temperature difference between the front of that window then uh, towards the back or the sides of the cage, you know, um, I've noticed it because in a lot of these setups, the fans are somewhere near the back or the heating elements near the back. And the cool end of that is actually that glass front. Cause it's, it's being affected by the temperature in the room. So you're getting condensation on that glass front. So you're actually thinking that your humidity looks good, especially if you have that little probe stuck to the window right there. Yeah. You, all that condensation is collecting right there. But the back of the the incubator, it's a, it's a misread, yeah, it's yeah, a misread, yeah, yep. and so it's throwing you off, and you're getting this, you know, conglomeration of uh, differences inside maybe whatever container you have these things in, um, and I really noticed. Well, I <laughs> uh, just got to go for it. I noticed it within the sim containers I was using because 
eggs at the back were drying out a little more than eggs at the front. So I would have to do things to adjust for this problem, like um, putting a wet paper towel over the, which was recommended by someone, thankfully, um, to me during this process where I was having issues, was to put the wet paper towel over the eggs that have started denting a little bit. And uh, sure enough, it worked, you know, but it increased the humidity, the moisture available to those eggs. And mm. they soaked that up and they they filled back out or they stopped um, deflating, basically. Um, yeah. And and, um, you know, we're still fine. Um, but, yeah, it's just for each thing you you for those of you out there that are going to want to breed, it, you're just going to have to play with some stuff. And it's a long incubation period for monitors. There's no easy way around it. So, yeah. Uh, but talk about you talk about some of the other stuff you've had to I know we talked today earlier so it's just kind of recapping on a personal conversation that we had about this but um I think you use was was it you were poking holes in water the bottles sink? Oh No 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 uh, I could have I could have got it totally wrong. I thought you were poking pinholes in like a water bottles or something to add humidity into the incubator itself but i could have read that oh no i have just i just had pinprick holes inside my um my sin lids ah i see i see yeah gotcha yeah you know i i used both of those actually so um in a lot of the the lids that i have i have pre-existing holes and then now at um the with the advice uh basically talking to alex of sim container one day is uh, I had those holes in there and then I had tape over the holes. So yeah, then, same. yeah. So then you could just yeah. lift up the tape over the holes if you needed to air them out a little bit and you didn't really even have to mess, take the top off and try to poke the holes through there and everything. Yeah. You can't make new holes. You have to melt holes. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't. So you have to heat up a little fork or heat up a little like a, um, what a paper clip or something like that, you know, right. get your little, torch out or whatever make your hole and yeah right. that's, that's that's what i uh that's what i have to do <laughs> and what what we mean is that if you if you get to that point you're messing with these sim lids they are made out of some kind of like uh they're crazy durable. Yeah, yeah they're durable. They're, they're durable you can't just use a screw and poke a hole through it you do have to melt a hole in there and it's yeah. insane the amount of work you'll put into uh a sim <laughs> lid trying to make holes in it but uh, so yeah, just get a jump so, on it and melt the holes, like Kai said. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, getting staying onto this uh, this incubating question, right? Mm -hmm. um, man, I hope they don't kill me. Hey, John and Alex, I love you guys. All right, but um, <laughs> uh, okay, so here it uh, comes. The, the sim container. Everybody needs to understand that it's not a one shoe fits all type thing. Um, mm -hmm. It can be with uh, your quick adjustments. That's that's all I have to say. Um, the, there's many ways to use this container, even without the little print prick holes or with a bunch of holes or, um, you know, people like me, I have some with the grid and um, like wet perlite and vermiculite. And then I have um, without the grid on that um that pangea clay stuff 
Yeah. Right. And then I have another one with the grid and uh, wet dirt. And so, um, you know, it, they all, they all work. Um, it's not really a need to have a one-to-one ratio like you would if you were to set it in perlite or vermiculite. Um, and I really just, uh, kind of have the, the bottom soupy, you know, it's not really, it's not really like, uh, if you were to grab a handful, you can still wring out some water. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of just how much moisture is down there. Um, with the, with the, with the little pebbles that I'm using that I kind of just make sure that it's wet. All the water goes to the bottom naturally and, um, the eggs sit perfectly on top, still in a sim container, but no grid. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, uh, people that say that they've failed with the sim container, um, maybe some adjustments might not have been made to, you know, as you're failing, you know, like as I've failed, I've had to make adjustments with the Sims. Um, right. That's, that's the, 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 the whole truth. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lie to anybody about using this tool or just cause these guys are my friends or anything like that. It's real. It's, you know, how, how you're now taking this tool and um, utilizing it in a way that it's going to work for you, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I hope you just don't grab a sim and think it's going to work for you and then, you know, kind of blame the sim if there's issues with your eggs. You know, there's there's a lot of things that come into play. And right. um, if you're not adjusting and really having all that math where it's humidity, pressure, heat, moisture level, actual dense moisture, not just humidity that's saturated in the air, but like actual moisture and wetness – all that is applied into incubating these eggs right. and um, you want to adjust to that, you know, Alex and John, I love you guys. I hope I'm sorry if I, uh, you know, the Sims is great. I use the Sims all the time. Uh, I do too. And you know, for me with the Sims is um, I, I pretty much use them on everything so far. Um, and the way that I got around it was I, I picked, okay, I'm going to use the Sims and I'm going to use that, that clay material. It's a Pangea hatch. There's an, it's a turf something. I, I can't yeah. remember what it is now, right. but you can find it. Um, and so I said, okay, this is the product I'm going to use. I just decided on this medium. The reason I decided on using that one is because you can actually uh, sterilize it and yeah. you can boil it. And so I can, I can get familiar with the same product and use the same product so I can adjust for any, uh, my, my mindset was on long haul that I might mess up two, three clutches in the process to, to make some advancements. Um, so with that mindset, I said, I'm going to figure this out in the Sims. So I, you know, I wet it down. I don't leave standing water, but I mean, the material is pretty wet. It, uh, I kind of soak it first a little bit and, um, then I just, basically hands or i've even used like a uh, yeah. spatula or, or a spoon with a slotted spoon you know yeah. bring some water out and um and scooped it into the sims and that's what i've been using now for i mean multiple clutches i'm using it on the sand monitor eggs i think i'm at about a hundred and maybe close to 170 days now on those everything's looking great um i've had to add water one time, but we're talking, you know, these, these eggs might go 200 days for yeah. the, the dwarf monitor eggs uh, that usually go between 100, 110 days. I, I can I feel confident now that I'm at the point where I can just set them and forget them. But yeah, if you're, go ahead. 
if you're kind of thinking about when we revamp that soil, it's uh, if you're paying attention to it, you know, um, kind of you have the hole as the from start to end in one hatch and stuff like that. So then I kind of break it down into like fours, right? Um, basically the first leg, the second leg, the third leg, and the last leg of incubation. Within your second going into your third and your third into your fourth leg of incubating, make sure that your water has been revamped or you're paying attention to that and it's still fine, okay? Now, what... Um, what I see and what, what I do myself, um, okay, so the reason why <laughs> these containers and the incubator condensate, okay, is because there's heat inside that incubator with humidity and moisture, right? And when the cold room is kind of, uh, I, I guess, you know, causing draft and gripping the, the incubator itself, that then creates that whole pressure of, um, creating condensation, right? Mm -hmm. And so these uh, egg containers, as the they go through different temperatures, I find that they always condensate when the incubator is warm and the room is really cold. That's when I find them condensating the most. And that's pulling moisture out of the actual soil and in the air, and then it's condensating on the top or the wall. You're going to wipe that off. You're also going to open the thing, and that's going to take out moisture and the actual humidity that's with inside the container. So um, just uh, be aware of what you're doing as well, okay? So every time that you need to do that, because you obviously don't want water droplets dropping onto your eggs either. So this is a thing where <laughs> you can mess up this process too, kill eggs and... You know, you obviously don't want to be venting too much. You basically lift the top, wipe the lid, close it, and call it a day. You know, don't like sit there, take a million pictures. I'm telling you because this is me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't don't still sit there taking doing it for the gram. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, doing it for the advertisement and um, all that stuff like that. You take a quick snap if you need to. I, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to resist. You know, you mm -hmm. want to. These are these are cherished moments, and you definitely want to take pictures of them. But be swift, right? You know, thirty seconds, a minute. You can all make this happen within that time frame. Wipe it, pop it back in. And it's like nothing changed. Um, but um, going back to this topic a little bit, condensation is least when the room temperature and the incubating temperature of the of the inside match. Mm -hmm. When they're very similar, condensation happens the very least. Okay, so um, that's what I've had to learn in the last year or two with uh, just hashing and incubating myself. You know, my experience, I do get some uh, condensation on the lids in my, um, in my SIM containers. But what I've noticed is they're not, in my situation, they're not affecting the eggs. Those water droplets don't seem to be falling and, and dropping on the eggs. Because I've sat in there and I've looked at these, you know, I'm waiting for a drop to come and the drop never comes. So yeah. I'm just sitting there looking at water. And what I realize as soon as I go to lift the lid, then it all drops onto the egg. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to be careful and I tilt it and then I let the, the gravity take its thing and right. have, have the condensation <laughs> over. But sometimes that doesn't work that well either. So yep. And then you're yeah, in there with so. a little Q tip or a little paper cloth and dabbing eggs and whatnot. <laughs> um 
But I mean, the other thing I use with um, with the eggs also is I for my setups, I leave open containers of water, basically a bowl of water on a shelf in the uh, the incubator. The incubator. And yeah. it does dry out because there's two fans and the one I have set up, there's an upper fan and a lower fan. So it is circulating air. Yeah. And um, where so the sim containers have a, a lid that's it's sealed. It's not airtight, but it's sealed on there. Um, so the to slow down the the fans and the incubator itself um, from pulling too much moisture out of this substrate we use, um, I've put in the bowls of water. So I know when those are starting to get low and get dry, then I am adding more water into these bowls. I'm still yeah. watching the the color of the, the substrate in there. And that's another good thing I like about this product. You can tell when it's wet or when it's starting to dry out real easy. Um, and so that's, that's the way that I adjust in my situation to accomplish what I need to accomplish. Um, now these, this incubator also has a solid front. There's no, window there's no window and it's the material on the front is just as thick as the rest of the the incubator it's about an, i would say an inch and a half thick all the way around on this thing because it's got some um foam inside and whatnot some uh insulation material um but it you know i found something that works for me so again for the people out there listening you have to find something that works for you and works in your climate um, when I was using the one with the window on the front, uh, a good tip of advice I actually got from talking to um, Alex over there at Sim Container was to stuff the, the incubator in a closet, put a towel over the front of the incubator. And then I even um, took some duct tape because the, the way the PVC was from the heat, it was starting to bend a little bit. So I was actually taking some reusable tape and putting it around the seam of the front door um, to help lock in some of this this moisture and whatnot, and it it worked fine for me. That's what I had to do. It looked funky, you know, but it's what I had to do to accomplish getting those eggs to go the distance, and it worked. The changes, yeah, yeah. the yep. slight changes. Oh, and real quick, while we're talking about that too, um, understand that 100 days is a long time. 200 days plus, even longer. Your area, whatever area you live in, is probably going to go through at least a season change, if not two. You have to get used to how that works, and <laughs> yeah, and and figure that out as well. And having eggs, it. having eggs in dead summer, sucks. <laughs> Shut everything off, you know. Just put them you on. You know a, when when uh, there's like rolling blackouts here, oh, you got to turn off the electricity for a certain amount of hours, things like that. Um, Man, some uh, some ways that I have learned um, to adjust to those situations. Typically, it's going to be hot, so trying to keep them warm isn't the issue. It's keeping them from overheating is the issue. Um, so you might drop a cold water bottle in there or something like that, um, or a cool pack to drop it in there and kind of balance out the temperatures when uh, you're you know you have issues like that where power's turned off or um, there's rolling blackouts or issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> another, yeah. California, we get those rolling blackouts and man, it, talk about a yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh really like, Hey, I'm trying to, you know, hatch some expensive lizards out here. You're trying to just kill them all. Right. Right. So, right. 
So those yeah. uh, reptile heat packs that we use for shipping, believe me, I got a whole stockpile of those right now. Yeah. I ran out for to, a little bit, but uh, if you need yeah. to throw those in there and yeah, yeah. kind of all you need is just one heat pack, really one or two heat packs and you can kind of gauge it. Um, yep. you know, and you obviously don't want to be going in there regularly too. And typically you only have to stress out for a few hours, right? And sometimes it's a day or so, you know, and you've had a blackout. And, yeah. Um, and, Another thing is eggs connect. I, I feel a lot more comfortable with eggs getting cold. If the power goes out and they actually get cold or colder, say they drop into the 70s, I don't really freak out about it. If they yeah. go up past like 90 for a prolonged amount of time, I start freaking out. So you yeah. got to go get some ice, go get some ice, do what you got to do. Open that door, throw on a fan in the room, just make sure the top of you know whatever container is sealed and do what you got to do. But, uh, yeah, just some of the things that we've had to adjust for. Um, right. Did we cover it? I think. To, yeah. We covered everything. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you want to read question number four? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Question number four is uh, minimum enclosure size. Uh, I see lots of people recommending you build a Taj Mahal for a single Aki. Uh, his words, sorry, <laughs> not mine. His words. Um, and uh, is that a yay or nay or uh, what are some of the other nuances uh, to this answer involving other priorities? Um, Go ahead, Kai. Uh, I'll get myself in trouble. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, let's let's be real about it. Um, I don't throw little lizards in big cages mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah, anymore. Um, kind of just keep it simple, especially for their babies starting off. Um, you know, for me, it's just getting a... Uh, understanding of the animal feeding it you know having its normal regular routine it's simple it's very simple to keep smaller baby monitors um taken care of well enough with just a little bit of heat small little microclimate area where it is humid and the rest of the enclosure is kind of drier um that's how i keep all my babies whether they're like ackies or something like that or um the mangrove monitors or Kimberly rocks kind of keep them all relatively dry at the very beginning and you mm -hmm. know just a couple humid hides and and that's it and that enclosure is you know two by two 18 by 18 ish maybe maybe you know something like um even like 15 by 15 if I really need to but that's that's only for a very short time for really tiny babies but um you're not really trying to want to look for a, a, a six inch lizard in a four or five foot cage every time, you know, you need to now, uh, now there's some, some, uh, there's some people that have great luck with throwing them in a big enclosure. And then, you know, you get to really, um, you have a great, a great pet that's just out and about all the time and it isn't hand hiding all the time, but, Man, if you do happen to have an animal that's just hiding all the time and you're not really uh, able to keep track of it as a baby, you really lose uh, lose track of that animal, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Now, uh, I, I also want to make sure that, like, as we're talking about, you know, these uh, very s precise um, parts of the enclosure, right? right. Um, not everybody is doing that that bit of research on how to heat a ton of soil so right. 
you know, when you're recommending somebody use a foot of soil, uh, there's stagnant soil that there the lizard's not going to use if it's too cold or too wet or you know you're not using it the right way. So um, with that, from just having it a simple setup, you know, something that you can kind of grasp with several inches of soil stuff like that is fine. Um, but you know, when you get into really larger volumes of stuff, that's uh, something acquired as you learn and you're kind of just going through the motions of stuff. You know, yeah. um, I don't think anybody. I mean, sure, I can tell everybody, hey, use a bunch of soil, but man, like, I hope you understand what you're doing first. Right. You know, um, how you're supposed to heat that, how that's supposed to really all work together and uh, um, accommodate for your lizard shedding wise, uh, humid hide um, derives humidity and, you know, draws humidity within the enclosure and stuff like that. Um, you know, now I do still believe that animals should have more than just a, a half log and a stick and a water bowl. You know, I, I, I definitely recommend much more. Um, especially the necessities, you know, vertical hanging, horizontal hanging, basking platforms, um, elevated hides, and, you know, a little water dish. You can have a cool spot underneath that water dish by putting it on a platform when you're mm -hmm. trying to tackle all the little necessities. Um, for example, right, for my little baby, uh, my little baby Kimberly's, um, I have a couple flats that I pile up underneath the heat lamp. And then it's you know, maybe several inches from the heat lamp. And then I have on the walls um, kind of like this, uh, well, this hammock that is just on the wall, though. It's not really strung up like a hammock is. And so they get to hide behind that. And I have a couple of those just lined up on the, the cage wall. And um, they're utilizing that, you know. And so I'm I'm applying other things for them to do rather than just having a one-dimensional cage, just soil and a half log and that, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, this is something you actually uh, reminded me of not too long ago. I was at vertical space on the walls there. I had an yeah. issue where um, I, in one particular setup, I wasn't, I, I got a lot of different little setups. I got a lot of different little babies and I overlooked something simple was just giving animals a place to kind of get dry, uh, get away yeah. from the substrate you know, hang off of something uh, vertically yeah. while staying secure and hidden and uh, the way that I set it up. And uh, it was, you know, I had different material in, in all the other cages that uh, accomplished the same idea. And it was this one cage that um, it was funny because I, I told Kai that, yeah, this is what I'm experiencing. I, I'm not used to this. I don't experience this, <laughs> you know, kind of. Yeah get a little full of myself maybe not not remembering some basics and uh kai's like oh you probably got i think whatever you said was exactly what i'm looking at in the cage you're like a couple pieces of bark on the ground and and uh you know the little basking site over here and i'm looking at the thing it's like it's like whatever i had is exactly what kai just drew a mental picture of in front of me i'm yeah. like oh oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um it you know i wasn't using the space effectively i wasn't I didn't set it up um, so that the animals could use the space effectively to accomplish all that they needed. Everything else is fine. I, I really just had to add that vertical piece, like you were saying, for them yeah. to get up away from the ground, you know? Right. Uh, and, and, and it helps um, basically because they're going to, if you keep it simple, you know, um, I know I understand that's kind of what I'm saying is uh, uh, provide the necessities, 
but still kind of keep it simple. Like you just don't want to pile a bunch of stuff. And then if you ever have to go through it, you got to really rip everything apart. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's what I mean by simple. Um, but yeah. you still want to provide the necessities though. Right. Mm. <laughs> Next I, question. Yeah. Let's move on. You yeah. handle that. <laughs> All right. No, uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll, let me be honest with the people out there real quick. Um, so when I first started keeping a couple years, a few years back, 2018. Okay. Uh, I had kept before this, like, uh, good Lord, 20 years ago, like 15, between 15 and 20 years ago, I was keeping animals. Um, I did what everybody was doing at the time. You know, I built my own cages to a certain degree. I was using those cattle troughs. Um, that's, I mean, I, I look like a feed store at one point there's cattle troughs everywhere. Um, and for other reasons, mainly being young and, and dumb about other things, I really wasn't, I didn't get really any success out of those animals I was keeping back then. Um, that wasn't the setup necessarily. Some other things I wasn't achieving within the setup or, or supporting the animals uh, in the ways that I needed to. But uh, so when I went to get back in to these animals, it was um, actually a, in conjunction with my son's fifth birthday. We set up the, the idea was to get a, a group of Ackies, uh, young ones, and set them up as their babies in a cage on a dresser in his room so that he could watch them. And with the idea that we are going to adjust later on into something bigger as the animals grew, right? We're just going to get them in there, set it up cool for a five-year-old. We got the, the fake uh, dinosaur skull in there, the fake cactus looking plant, and then a few other things in this two foot exoteric cage. Um, so we did that. We accomplished that. Now I had two heat lamps on there. Okay. I had a uh, ceramic heat lamp. I had a UV with the LED combo strip. And then I had another um, um, CHE basically on top of this two foot cage. Now there was a lot of heat coming out of there. True. Okay. Um, but <laughs> at the, those bad boys. it was, but at the same time I was adjusting for this by at the time, putting water in the substrate, um, you know, pretty regularly and then spraying them twice a day. So they still had a, primarily they had an open top. I did cover a portion of the top, um, but there's still the openings where basically the lights are sitting. And um, I was accomplishing by letting the the cage heat up in the morning, spraying it in the morning. And then uh, about an hour before turning the lights off, I, I'd missed it again. So I provided them that. And also I used cork bark, but the way I used the cork bark or stuff within cork bark tubes created different gradients down from where these heat lamps were hitting. So the animals were able to adjust their heat. Um, And the other thing that I did was there was a, uh, even the fake, the fake uh, T-Rex skull I packed with um, (laughs) some substrate under there uh some leaf litter or or moss and i was really dousing that when i'd go in and and water that and then i would let a heat lamp like kind of have it near enough and kind of buried so it was actually like a little heat sink into the soil off of this this uh yeah skull (laughs) i changed that to a uh, piece of slate or you know a skinny brick or something later on yeah 
But um, so that's how it set it was set up, and honestly, it worked great. It's it's still working. It's still in the room. Uh, we rotate animals through it now, and um, but it works. Okay, so this is where man, I I'll share this here, I guess, but I got beat up about this. <laughs> so oh. I came from the point where. Um, the full intention was for me to set these animals up in a larger cage as we progressed. Now, in my mind, getting back into this after being like years away from animals, I'm thinking this is going to happen on my timetable, right? This is going to be about a year old. Then they're going to magically become adults because I think that's when they need to become adults. And um, we'll adjust at that time uh, into something bigger. So... I'm putting together my own collection of different snakes at this time. And I, other than the daily care of watering and feeding these animals, I really wasn't paying too much attention to them. I was just letting them do their thing. And uh, <laughs> then one day, I think they're about eight months old or so. Um, there's an infertile egg on the surface, right? I got three animals in this two foot exoterra. There's an infertile egg on the surface. I go digging. And I think there was a total of eight eggs, right? And I'm freaking out. Uh, I need to get them in something bigger. Stat, this is happening now. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm thinking I missed the boat. Thank God she didn't get egg bound and die. Now, that's what's in my own head. My my wife has to point it out to me. Um, she's like, what's wrong with, with the girl? I said, nothing, thankfully. It's like, she's looking great, right? Well, yeah, she's looking good. Um, well, she's been doing fine this whole time in this cage, in this setup. She looks good now. She's back to feeding and she's alert and everything. Why don't you just let her rebound back in this cage? And it was like, hey, that that's actually a great idea, you know? So let's yeah. try it. And she did. And then she went on to cycle again and lay another one in this same. So... I share that story. I got, believe me, I, I put this out there on social media when it happened and I was brand new to keeping again. And I got just eviscerated. And I understand the, the thing was, I was trying to explain is I understand I was sharing people what happened and yeah. um, um, it was never my intention to do all that. It's just, I got caught up and doing things, but yeah, yeah. I bring that up now because the fact of the matter mm. uh, is for people out there listening a two foot cage can work. I don't recommend <laughs> it right now to, to somebody that's just getting into this and doing their thing. Um, but it can, you can accomplish all that you need to for some animals within a small space. Okay. But what that taught me, what I took from that was this is what's usable. These temperatures are usable. This, you know, um, and I started adjusting my thinking off of that and expanding that to larger cages themselves and how I approach setting up cages for the future. And it worked, it continued to work, you know? So, um, do I recommend that? No. Has it happened again since? Yes. They there's, we've had other animals cycle through that cage and have done the same thing. Um, but again, it's usually as soon as I'm seeing that, or as soon as that happens, we're usually transferring them out and bringing the next round of babies in. It really is just something here for the family to enjoy. Cause they're not always with me at the warehouse, um, but it can happen. Um, yeah. And that's where uh, basically just uh, pick up from there and 
learn. You know? Yeah. Yep. So. Now that, you know, it's funny that uh, on the other side of that is that I went, as soon as I knew I was getting sand monitors, you know, I, I built these full walk-in cages for them. So <laughs> it wasn't like there was rhyme or reason, or I was trying to uh, prove a point with keeping animals in a small enclosure, you know? Um, and now most of my, most everything at the warehouse is in, uh, I would say four foot. If they're not a four foot, like by two foot, um, footprint it's a, like a three foot by three foot or some odd number just whatever i had available to build something out of um so i don't know if that's really answering the question but do animals need a taj mahal no the fact of the matter is there's probably some dwarf monitors you could breed in a 50 gallon drum if it was set up the right way <laughs> yeah <laughs> but do we want to give our animals more? Yes. Does it make it more enjoyable for us to do so in those situations? Absolutely. Who wants to look at a 50 gallon drum sitting it? Well, you know what? Hold on a second. Let me, uh, let me catch myself. I use that as an example without even thinking. I think Mike Stefani has like drum this setups. Yeah. This kick-ass setup made out of a, a, a barrel or something. So yeah. I take that back. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. I've, seen, uh, I've seen, I've seen, blue i've seen uh the blue uh the blue barrels as well i've seen yeah. those cut and uh um a plexiglass placed in the front of those yeah i've seen that that uh that makeshift setup too yeah yeah and they will work man uh, different setups work okay um yeah i know people that, that are doing things in um they're doing things their own way and a lot smaller setups that you know, they don't even share, but they are they're breeding animals. They are having full reproductive events with healthy individuals on yep. the other side of it and healthy clutches. But they don't share their their success, unfortunately, with with a lot of people because they know they'll get blasted just because people want to make judgments off of what they see, not what's right. actually what the keepers actually doing. So, um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. There's. There's many little things that work that uh, just uh, just aren't what do you say conventional, right? Yeah. So, I I might be getting a little long winded on this topic, but um, for instance, some people will say you know if you have one aki, that we got this like whatever somehow we got this size of a four by two is that good starter cage the minimum right, um, and that you will want to build a six by two. I see some individuals who get really excited about their first animal and they want to build an eight by eight. Great. But you need to know how to set that up first yeah. so that it's usable. Okay. So just because an animal has the space doesn't mean you're going to keep that animal occupied with its life or what is an eight by eight space, you know, it's going to get used up. It's going to know every inch of that just as it would a smaller cage and if that cage isn't usable, it might not even travel to those other points or run across them real quick and just come back to, you know, where the yeah. cage is usable. So um, some ideas, I don't know, but you, I think you do stuff like this already, Kai, is that uh, if you want to stimulate your animal in a cage, instead of thinking that a bigger cage is the way, maybe change the items within that cage. Maybe bring in new items that have different smells to them. And my instance you know there is always the cross contamination 
but I, I'm pretty comfortable with my own collection um, and the health of the different animals. I'll take a log out of another setup of Aki's and where there's another male, another female, and I'll change the, the bark uh, between the two enclosures. They go nuts over this thing. You see the scenting behaviors by the male. You see the tongue flicking, investigating going on, you know, um, for a while. You've just given these animals something to do for however long till they get bored of it. And simple tricks like that, you know, can actually uh, change up or stimulate different behavior. Give your give your animal something to do much more than just a big blank cage would. So, uh, yeah. Com- accommodating for uh, vast amounts of soil that's a uh, that's a big one for me if yeah. you can't heat that or if um your cage is sitting on a cold floor basement mm-hmm. tile and that's gonna now your your cage might be warm but the soil and i'm sorry the the ground itself will suck the heat out of that and basically make the soil really cold and mm-hmm. um not useful stagnant soil an area that's not really usable that's what i that's what i've uh that's what i've noticed so um keeping it just as far as like growth with your animal building a relationship and all that stuff like that getting to understand it um having the smaller workable cage not tiny but you know workable you know and as you grow you understand what the lizard needs um things that are are definite stuff that you have to do to the enclosure that you'll have to accommodate for the big one. Um, then you grow into that. You kind of think, all right, now this is what I need to apply and how do right. I apply it? You know? Yeah. That's the growth into it. Cause you know, from when you started off and then when you're growing into intermediate and then you, you've had it for years and years, it's just a lot different. You know, you, you'll end up doing things that accommodate you better, but at the same time, accommodate the lizard as well. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, another thing that comes up with that sometimes is I see people want to add a lot of vertical space to cages, which is absolutely great. And I like it, too. But understand, if you're going to use vertical space, um, don't necessarily just put one heat lamp up at the top of the the top branch in this cage, because then the animal has to use that one spot to bass to get its needs if it's a shy animal it might choose not to do that and it could end up you know stressing itself out getting sick the other thing is if you're not heating like kai said you're not heating the soil you're not keeping up the ambient towards the lower end of the cage to a certain degree it might not use the uh the rest of the cage effectively uh you might run into digestion issues where it can't burn off the food it's eating um other issues other health issues come from that you need to adjust your your own setup accordingly so is do i wish i could have every animal of mine in the huge display enclosure that's functional absolutely and some do have huge enclosures um but other ones it's and for certain animals it's just easier to keep them in something a little more spartan and uh smaller to maintain yeah right right yeah main maintenance and building relationship with the animal it's major major key Keeping it simple. All right. Do we got any uh is there any other question in here? Yeah, this is the last one. Okay. All right. So uh this one is basically a question of why we choose 
monitor lizards. Um, <laughs> you know, well, what about them? Uh, even after all the issues, heartaches, and and trying to figure stuff out, uh, what makes it all worth it? Uh, is the is it the love for the animal, love for the process, or both, or is it something else? Uh, man, I, I guess I'll start with this one. Um, the intelligence is one thing. Um, you know, trying to figure them out is uh, it's kind of never ending. So um, for me, I, I love the, the mental challenge a little bit or a lot of bit. And um, I'll forever kind of always be really interested in with these animals. Um, for me, it really started off with like the crocodile hunter watching like Komodo dragon stuff and, and really just, yeah, <laughs> hey, these are some awesome lizards, you know, and then you kind of go through raising many different stuff from geckos and iguanas and beardies and agamids and stuff like that. And you kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like. And um, for me, it's the monitors were always the interesting stuff. And um, it's just that extra intelligence you know, they're aggressive. I always wanted to like tame stuff. And mm -hmm. you know, there was this monitor that came, came across uh, this pet store that I was once volunteering for. And um, I would want to want to work with it and, um, you know, try to get it to be social like everybody wants. And this was some now monitor that came in really mean. And I got it to be really docile uh, around me mostly. And so, um, you know, it's just uh, just those challenges. I mean, they're they're all, I guess many people have um like what draws them to the monitors the most you know um me it's just just about everything with them still like even feeding to this day feeding is just ravenous like feeding some dinosaur you know um, it's kind of savage it's it's crazy uh i get a lot of excitement out of watching it and um you know obviously it's that whole behavior you get the most behavior when they're eating sometimes eating and breeding you know you get mm -hmm. those those uh, all natural behaviors that you kind of watch and you want to see out of your animal. Um, yeah. Uh, let me see here the second part of this or other parts of this question. Um, yeah. Even, okay. So I've, I've had some, some heartaches, uh, losing females, <laughs> you know, not even just this last year, but I would say 10 years ago when I was doing, um, or oh, I was trying to do Flavi Argus, Goldie eye crosses myself and um i uh i had um this female that i got from lance payton and uh, uh and then i got a male after we figured out that it was a female and a year year and a half old i bought a male from him that he was selling and um really tried to pair them up and uh, i killed them or i killed the female because uh, she ended up just having a complications developing and um, my nesting and stuff like that was just sandy stuff. It didn't have any moisture in it, so it was just kind of bone dry. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think she took to that as well. And so I ended up kicking the bucket. And um, really, that took a loss for me. But at, at, as a keeper, it also, like, impacted me a lot. Like, damn, what am I... I love keeping monitors and I talk a big game and I'm helping people out, but am I really doing this stuff right? You know? Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I can help a ton of people all I want, but am I doing the, the right service to my animals too? And so, um, you know, really getting down to the core of why I keep and what I do now and um, 
it's basically grown to this now, you know, like falling in love with helping people with their animals and making, you know, making sure that the animals that are kind of suffering a little bit have a better chance and all that things like that. Right. And so they kind of add up to, you know, just your whole, like your whole morals and growth with these animals. And, and so now that I'm doing them years later, oh man, it's, um, it's applying things that I, I, I was using back then to now and trying to just not make those mistakes again. And even though now it's 10 years later, um, I'm still sort of fiddling and fumbling a little bit with uh, some of these same, same mistakes, you know, and um, uh, it's a little bit different for all these animals. I'm trying to pick it up and, and making sure that I support them enough, uh, making sure that I'm kind of paying attention to things as I need to. And, um, and as I move forward with having many females that are regularly laying for me, I'm kind of like giving myself a thumbs up, like, yeah, I did mm -hmm. it. You know, she didn't die. Um, that's, that's whether it's a parthenogenic clutch, whether it's a clutch from breeding, whether it's just duds being actually laid and not scattered over the enclosure. I take, I take um, pride in that, seeing that at the end, at the end result, you know? Um, sorry, that's my cat. <laughs> are you alive <laughs> yeah, um so i just make sure that uh all right man my my um females are all good and and um you know i i really i really take that as all right i'm doing stuff right by them now i'm not I'm killing you know i'm basically not killing them and and i'm having somewhat of a success now so yeah. um definitely taking that as uh as a good thumbs up to what i'm currently doing you know um now as as far as like what uh what stuff i kind of really love and what makes it all worth is is i have this major thing where i basically flip out freak out um Al alan's actually had to cater to to me flipping out um last year <laughs> and you know basically having to deal with me calling at two or three in the morning or having to just um yeah, just me being frantic about stuff, right? And so when I'm going through that, I really take that and like take it to the heart. It's like, man, like I'm trying to figure this out. And then once it's we're playing out all the scenarios, playing what we can or applying what what new stuff we think is gonna work by just word of mouth through other keepers, sharing information, and then testing that out. And that end result is all right, did I make that change? That right there for me is seeing all that form and flow um man it really lights me up inside you know mm -hmm. just science working its thing even if it's something simple as getting the, the the shedding off of the tail tips or having the toes perfect or you know things like that that you want integrity in the animal that you're having and selling and producing and and all that stuff you know um and so that's that's one thing and that's for my growth and learning and uh, the the other thing is actually hatching out little little monitors. Yeah, you know, that that feeling never. Uh, whether it's well, I'm hatching out awesome stuff. So <laughs> these are all my dream animals. I'm not gonna lie. You know, I've been I've been um, keeping and failing, and you know, trying to progress and all that stuff like that. And I have animals that I were that I was jockeying and wanting since I was a, a kid, a teenager. You know, once I figured out how to get, how to get on the internet, get on kingsnake.com and look at all these pictures and forums, you know. And so I was telling myself, hey, like, 
that's two thousand dollars. <laughs> I don't have that money, you know. Like I've never, I'll probably never get that. And you know, I worked hard for my initial pairs and my initial girls, and I, I put a lot of um, myself into trying to get all these animals. And um, you know, they're all my dream stuff, and I love seeing everything take off as I'm growing with it, you know, failing at the same time and, and really learning from that and trying to fail better the next time and really mm -hmm. getting, I'm trying to get it the, the, hopefully the, the third and fourth time, you know, and um, for me, I, I couldn't really, I don't want to take them for granted. You know, I don't want to just, I have, I have dope stuff. I'm not going to just, be like oh you know that's just gonna sit in the cage and 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 i'm just gonna get likes from it you know i want to do successful stuff with these animals if if that's if that if you know that's um um that makes sense setting goals and and completing them with these animals you know right yeah and uh so yeah that's my that's my process i love i love the whole thing i'm failing and growing with it it helping you as a as a person character um you know as keeping monitor lizards i, I think uh, you know you know and a lot of other people it, it for one is expensive mm -hmm. it, it's you know um time consuming um it it's gonna it takes a lot out of you um even just to do soil cost cost money cost all this you're sacrificing space and so as a like an adult or just a responsible human being, boy, you better have your game on tight. You know, like, you know, Absolutely. Like, you are responsible or you're now going to be balancing and budgeting your money or how you're going to be spending it or, or, you know, what you're going to be applying and just to be able to maintain these things. Right. Um, you know, so it, it's going to draw the, 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 the man out of you or, or the responsible person out of you, you know, um, Yep. And that's where that's where I, I also get that fulfillment out of them because I used to be a little knucklehead, you know, and and uh, basically taking these animals for granted, even if I had one or two, you know. Um, and once I realized what they were doing for me and what they were doing, what I can do with them for other people, um, man, like that also was another fulfillment part, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's what about you, man? Oh, oh, there's a lot to this. I, you know, I joke around a lot. I say it's a, it's a toxic relationship, I think. And uh, maybe we're just broken people, the monitor lovers out there. <laughs> we're in a, we're in a one-sided relationship sometimes. And uh, it does, it's, it's time, it's sacrifice, um, not only in space, but it hits you in your budget. Um, you have to adjust your life sometimes. I mean, this is reptiles in, in general, um, but primarily with animals that need, you know, food every day, uh, sometimes for some of these four-legged critters, uh, it's a big commitment. And it's not like it's a cat or a dog. People understand and are familiar with cats and dogs. So if your significant other you know, um, you have a cat or dog, it's, it's like you, you're around it. You're just exposed to it. But if your significant other does not have the same passion as you have for these animals, then you're, you're trying to explain the reason sometimes on a daily basis about what, 
you know, why you were spending your time, your money, your everything yeah. on this animal. And it can be, uh, it can wear you down. You know, if, if you're not ready for it, it can wear you down. So be careful. Know what you're, if, if you want to get into monitors, if you want to get a monitor, but you are just barely piecing it together just to make it work. Like you're like, all right, if I, if I don't do this this month and I do this, I will have just enough to do this. Wait a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Trust me. Wait a little bit. They will be there still wait. And I've made this mistake uh, early on when I kept animals, when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, um, I made those mistakes. I killed animals or I didn't appreciate them or I started flipping animals because all of a sudden I needed to pay the next bill. And then I'm, you know, I'm scrambling for the next new project. And then I'm selling that project after a couple months to pay another bill because, you know, being, uh, being strict with uh, what I, what I have now, like compared to what I was wanting to do before, right before it was buy whatever you could and Mm -hmm. have it, you know, sulfurs. uh, I had Togianis at one point, um, I've had freckled monitors from Doug Price, um, you know, like like all of these at once, right? Um, uh, the Guru line when they first came out, things like that. And so um, I bought all those and never focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have them and you're, you think you're focusing. Sure, you are learning some stuff, but I'm focused now. Like right. I'm, I'm paying attention, but I'm – focusing on a strict one or two species not 10 or you know i mean sorry i know you have 10 or more but like you're now really focused on taking care of all of those though it's not Mm -hmm. like you have 10 a menagerie of random stuff and it's not either implemented any prop program or breeding program or anything like that and it's just sitting there taking up space energy time money whatever right and so um now i have everything is implemented for a, a program or or in this project right and so everything is needing to be strict on on diets and stuff like that it's it all it all plays and folds within each other but if i were to have just a bunch of lone animals as well man i really couldn't focus on what i'm doing just mm-hmm. just with what i have you know with what i have i'd have to then deal with all these other projects and stuff don't get me wrong i have a ton of stuff a ton of the same same type of stuff though (laughs) so you know um then i'm still trying to focus on those numbers as well and even then like i have a lot of you know i have a lot of mangroves right i have 10 or or 12 or how many ever i have and i have you know a bunch of kimberleys and um it's then a, a tackle to just handle the several Kimberleys and then on another day handle all the mangrove monitors or, or both parts of the day. It's like, you know, where I'll do, uh, I'll do Kimberleys earlier and then I'll do the mangroves in a, in a few hours, you know, and stuff like that. So um, it's having to accommodate and be strict with that too. Yeah. You know, for me, when, when I see a monitor, I think when I first got into seeing monitors, um, I didn't pay attention to the stuff like the, the Savannah monitors or the Nile monitors too much. Um, what actually got me was Aki's. The first time I saw an Aki with that tail, um, that just monitor look in a dwarf package. Uh, the tongue, the way their tongues move, um, 
you know, it just it struck me. I wanted it. I think if I remembering right, if anybody has those old uh, reptile magazines, it might have been like it was an episode back in the 90s, you know, that featured Aki's in there. And uh, I think I read that thing probably a hundred times, you know, just yeah. going over studying each picture in there, what kind of cages, what, you know, trying to figure out what kind of bulbs they were using in the cages and different things. Um, so Aki's kind of drew me into the whole monitor world and how they started, you know, uh, how their bodies worked, what they were, and then to realize how many different species of monitors were actually out there. Um, and they just, they just fascinated me. The fact that, you know, um, you could have this animal reach maturity in a year for some of these species and multi-clutch during a year, um, and have all these little babies and everything. And, uh, I, you know, yeah. it's just like, this is insane. You know, it's, they're, they're hard, but when they're, when you cracked it, they're easy. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you um I think all of us go through this. You get you get stuff and you develop like a like you get cool stuff and you probably have goals and you develop a sense of arrogance, right? And <laughs> yeah. um that uh that cockiness a little bit and it's good to have some confidence in you, but you know, you wanna be open minded to your failures and stuff like that as well. Oh yeah. Um and those are those are going to set you back and they're going to put you in your place essentially where you thought you knew by research and maybe even having them and paid for them. But like, like I've said before, if until you've got them to go through life cycles and do things like laying and breeding or you've killed them, then you got to understand what, um, what really keeping them is, is like. And believe me, we hope nobody has to kill a monitor out there. Believe the people that do keep monitors, we've all killed enough. <laughs> yeah but unfortunately yeah. there will be more <laughs> um yeah you, you know they are a ton of work um i have these little dreams these little fantasies sometimes about just keeping snakes and just enjoying my uh i in, in my mind i eating what, what was it yeah yeah eating. i have this uh this like commercial you know they do those commercials for like whatever it is whether it's an std or some heart medication in my mind it's novaranis take novaranis once a day <laughs> talk to your doctor and there i am out in the field skipping around and dancing with the butterflies just keeping snakes or something you know <laughs> yeah easy uh, you know yeah i wouldn't yeah. have to worry about vacation i could kind of schedule my own breaks and it's like i think about these snake guys i got some buddies that are snake guys what are you guys complaining about that's what i uh... <laughs> yeah there's a lot a lot more to accommodate with with the animals that we're doing currently um and so uh, it's new um even though many of us have been doing it for years um and you know people that like are the like the godfathers and pioneers of this um were trying to have us grasp onto what they were doing you know mm -hmm. um and really it's still not um like like i told you before and people weren't really paying attention to the soil and below they're just paying attention to what's what's above the soil right and um they weren't really taking all those things into accommodation essentially just 
heated nesting. So that way, that's re replicating where the animal is from. It's mm -hmm. warm, you know, it drives drives a lot of humidity and everything like that when you add moisture to it. And um, really being like that, when you open a cage, it's that hot, humid, dense, mm -hmm. denseness, right? And so um, that's, that's kind of what you're – what you're what you want to feel when you open it in, in an enclosure it's like man it's that's hot and humid in there um yeah so you know what's what's keeping me going i guess we can just uh we covered the questions and we want to thank eric for for putting those out there anybody else please feel free you know uh we want to talk to you guys whether you're beginners or you you're guys that have been doing this a while um we want to hear from everybody uh one if we can help but two you know one of the one of the reasons that that we started this is Kai and I were having those two o'clock in the morning uh, uh, conversations. I think I could hear him working with animals on his end. I'm in, you know, my warehouse working with animals. We're doing different things and we're trying to problem solve together. And we were like, man, we just wish there was somewhere to go where this information is more readily available. And right. we're talking like, man, we wish there was a podcast just for monitors. We wish there was some more content that was just about monitors and um, yeah, a little bit. I, I don't even know how long it took. We were talking. I mean, we were having like a couple hour conversations sometimes and uh, yeah. Yeah. And we said, Hey, what if we just made a space for this to happen? You know, we don't, we're not trying to come in here saying we know everything because we definitely don't, but we want right. to learn. Hopefully we'll get some, if there's anybody listening out there, some, some, people with some good information good experience with different species because we we want that content too um yeah you know i get kind of jealous sometimes i'm like man because <laughs> what I, I guess i should explain um just in the first couple episodes that have been released we've gotten a lot of compliments a lot of good feedback from guys and they're like oh yeah i turned it on when i was working in the reptile room and i was listening to this and you know i had this funny thought it was like Man, I wish I could listen to a monitor podcast while I'm working on my stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear myself talk all the time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a funny thought. But, um, I don't know. Anything else rolling around still in your head, Kai, about all this? Uh, no. I mean, as far as now, um, you know, uh, these sessions where we're having um, questionnaires and we maybe even have people come on. Um, yeah, again, we want this to be branched out to everybody. Um, even if you just got your now monitor mm -hmm. and, you know, cause there's going to be thousands of people that are going to be able to relate to you right now because of the season, they just came in and same thing with savannas and some other species of animals and where, um, the mass of them dying it sucks mm -hmm. and uh, we want to see if you, the questions that you have are relatable to other people and and if you're willing to either drop us some questions that we can answer here or would you even like to come on yourself right and where we have you as a guest and essentially we'd have questions back and forth and and dissect kind of what you are trying to figure out and what we can see if um, other people can relate as well right um yeah now uh, as far as uh closing this up i really just wanted to talk about some of the things we kind of have going on and then yeah, yeah. now um for, for me 
I am actually getting into my season. Things are cracking off really well for me. Um, everything is eating more, starting to go through cycles, look gravid, start dropping eggs, and, and kind of things are taking off for me. Um, so I've had to pay attention, revamp everybody's soil, make sure everybody's nest bins are tuned up, temperatures are good, go through every nest bin, dig deep down, and basically double check everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my core temperatures, um, at at humidity where I need moisture and humidity where I need to and even spruce up some cages a little bit but um right now it's just making sure that I'm there for support during this time of um I would say taking off on on all my animal cycling and laying eggs and going through going through everything man uh yeah I kind of got the same going on so I got a uh good clutch from an Aki girl. I'm expecting uh another two girls to go and uh my I, I posted a pic of one of my Tristis females who was going through the pre-swell. Um nice. the male's been showing interest in the last couple days, so I'm expecting that to happen. Other than that, the uh, the first clutch of sand monitors. I think I'm in that final like thirty day window. I think. Oh, um, nice. But anything could happen, so um, you know I'm not trying to trying to get ahead of myself with that. Uh, so, but I, I man, I cannot wait to see those little heads. They're such cool little babies. Yeah. Um, and I really like one of the reasons that we keep monitors uh, to answer that. Yeah. Seeing babies, man, is just awesome. When you see that tongue flicking out of the egg, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, <laughs> when you're young and you're like going through um, just, just the dream stuff you could do at reptiles, right? Mm-hmm. Like hatching monitors is, is up there. Right. And now that when you actually get to do it and you see it, it's just, it's right. a treasuring moment. Very, very treasuring moment. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, especially when you put 200 days into not only everything well, you got to do to get to the, the adults, you know. It's the stress. Uh, yeah. Stress. We're going to die early. <laughs> it's like, why are you up right now? Why is there a green dot? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's three in the morning. Like, That's what – we joke about that, but it's true. You know, I'll I'll jump on my I'll wake up, I'll jump on my phone. I'm like, oh, I gotta go do something. Who's up? Kai. I can count on Kai to be up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey buddy. Yeah. My uh my, my my window and everything like that is all messed up. There is no separation now. So if you're in Indonesia, you're sleeping and I'm awake, I'm gonna message you. If it's <laughs> four, four a.m. and it's California and you're sleeping. I'm going to message you. Right. <laughs> I, I actually have, I, I, my lady reminds me all the time. She's like, you know, they're sleepy. <laughs> and I'm just like, Yo, I, I, I totally forgot. I'm just awake. So I yeah. think everybody's awake too. And I'm just going to start flying off questions and stuff. And if yeah. they answer, they answer. If they don't, they don't. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's not just us. I, there's other people. I'm sure, you know, you can jump on the, the messaging app, you know, and you see these yeah. little green dots. It's like, Oh, <laughs> The monitor people yeah. are up. <laughs> yeah, or it's just uh, just the way I have some of my nights, my my cycles too. I still have some lights on at nighttime, and so yeah, uh, like I'll, I'll go and peep and make sure everything's okay. And then I also I feed my grasshoppers every three to four hours, 
So I'll be like, even if I went to sleep at nine or 10 PM, um, I'll wake up one or 2 AM and then go feed and then go back to sleep or something. Right. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I like, so a lot of stuff happens at those hours, you know, a lot of stuff like uh, it's dumb for me to not be awake or give a little peek because things are breeding. I'm barely in, in and out of there, you know? So, um, they, they're like, Oh, he's not around. Let's do stuff. You know? Mm -hmm. You're right about that. Yeah. Um, that's where I just peep from the, 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 the room that's next door and I'll kind of look from the door and see what they're doing. And, you know, if I can, if I can try to, try to sneak over there take some pictures or or record what they're doing and kind of time stamp it you know you know it's funny i when i walk in i uh i wave at cages i don't know (laughs) why but i can i have some cages that are elevated so you know i'm about six foot tall and these cages are up towards the top uh the area i have so they're maybe about 12 feet right so and they're at the back so maybe i don't know 25 feet away and i'll see a little little head peeking out of a, a piece of bark way back there and I'll wait. Yeah. I don't know why I do it, but it's just one of those little things. I think like, Oh, I see you, you see me, you know, I'm going to get to work and then I'll be out of, out of your way again. And uh, yeah. it's just funny stuff. But um, other things, I don't know. I, the sand monitor female is about to um, drop again uh, from the look of everything. So um i'm excited about that hopefully everything will go good i changed some things up this time so i don't know how it's it's gonna work out um that was more i i I could have kept everything the same and probably been fine but i wanted to experiment but you know i just wanted to tweak or change something a little bit um just for my own knowledge and benefit so we'll see how it goes um I got to get these Indonesian animals figured out. So I'm going to be picking your brain actually a lot more uh, in the next couple of weeks. Cause I'm really going to hit that. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, what else? I don't know, man. I think that, uh, I think that kind of concludes it for this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think everybody, uh, we've answered everybody's questions that have um, sent us in the last few days. Uh, a lot of people congratulating us. We want to make sure that um, you guys know that we love you guys for uh, paying attention and just uh, keeping up with us. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we have plenty of content for you guys and information and at the same time also release it fast enough. Um, and all of this is trying to be done uh, weekly for you. So if uh, you just stay tuned, hopefully every weekend we have something uh, in store for you guys, right? Yeah, I think um, well, hopefully a lot of the things we go over, um, you're reading your animal. So there's care husbandry stuff that uh, we're trying to get people aware of if they're not already aware of that just work with animals in general. But we're going to get into a, a few species specific things, I think um which we hope will be really entertaining real cool for you guys too so all right yeah, there'll be uh, there'll be species that um that everybody seems to work with mm-hmm. and um but not really have success with right so. <laughs> all right all right you guys uh until next time yeah we want to guys for tuning in and uh go ahead and check out the uh morelia python radio network um, you can find them online on Facebook, 
um, on Instagram, but also go to MoreliaPythonNetwork.net. Again, uh, look around their page. A lot of interesting material, a lot of good stuff to check out. Um, even if it's Python is in the name, go ahead and look through some of the episodes of like NPR. They talk to a lot of people. There's great information in uh, some of those episodes and just some history of keeping in general um, from some of these keepers that, you know, started us off in this hobby. And uh, a lot of them were doing not only uh, some monitors, but pythons, figuring out how to keep animals in boxes for the rest of us to have a starting point. So uh, check them out. Uh, we again want to thank uh, Eric for all the help that he's been able to, to give us and all the guidance through this. Um, also look at the, look at the Patreon on there. If you want to support to get more of this content out and support the other podcasts, not only this one, but, uh, um, the other ones that are out there are just, uh, there's NPR, uh, Colibrid corner, uh, carpets and coffee, uh, humans of herpticulture, uh, Gosh, there's a, yeah, there's a Field Hurt podcast. There's, uh, I think there's a history. You know, th- there's a lot it's of quite them. Quite a bit. Yeah, I don't feel bad. I don't feel get bad because when they talk about them, they can't remember them all. So, <laughs> but really, get on there and check it out, guys. So, again, thank you for being with us, Kai. Hey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, me again. Um, Man, uh, yeah, have a good, uh, good time with your family. Yeah, we'll do.